Welcome back, everyone, to the Love Means Nothing podcast, episode 16, mid-US Open review. We're in the quarterfinal stage. Dhruv is back in D.C. after his stint in New York. Uh, Dhruv, how's it going? It's going amazing. Got back. Now I'm having to watch it on TV, which sucks. So I'm having a post- being in New York hangover this entire week. So that's that's how I feel. I, w- I will say, honestly, sometimes I can take more away from matches when I'm watching them on TV. I don't know if you feel the same way. I totally or- disagree. I totally disagree. There's so, so, so many small things that you see in the match that when you're there. Yeah, I think there's small things you see like in between the points and you can get a better sense of kind of the shape of the ball definitely when you're there. But just in terms of focusing on the strategy of the match, I, I really don't get a good sense when I'm when I'm there. Maybe because I'm distracted by the crowd, distracted by I don't know what. I don't I don't put trends together usually when I'm when no, I'm there. No, I'll give you one perfect example of when we were we were watching that match Pliskova against Sabalenka, and Pliskova yeah. her, when 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 you hit the ball in the middle of the court to Pliskova, like first of all that's where she makes her most errors, but she also hits a worse ball from there. I feel like if I watched it on that TV, I would not be able to tell that that ball was worse or shorter or like less powerful. You can't hear the ball. You hear the shots. You can understand what the shots are doing more than when you're watching on TV, the difference between two or three inches over the net. I don't, I don't feel that difference. When you're seeing someone hit a backhand up high in live in person, it's different than watching it on TV. I, I personally think. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point about the Pliskova thing. I'd like to, I'd like to know if we, yeah. we could, um, if we could, see that i will say that on tv I, the 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 alcaraz center match looked like it was on fast forward like the whole the whole match I, oh my gosh he hit a forehand <laughs> he hit a laser forehand winner yeah. and then they showed the forehand again on repeat yeah uh, i'm sorry what am i saying what am i saying replay slow-mo replay and it still it looked like a it still looked like a normal shot it was it was crazy that's the thing, because usually when you go, actually, when you go to watch matches in person, you're like, wow, they hit the ball way harder than it looks like on TV. And I come back and watch Alec Grass Center, and it looks like they're hitting the ball even harder than when I was watching in person. So I can't even imagine what that would look like if someone was, you know, de- I, honestly, the people that stayed, why, like, so why, would you, people, why would you leave? You know, why would you leave? Yeah, honestly, like, I don't care. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. I, I mean, if I was at a sporting event that I, like it was a sport I didn't really care for. I would still be able to acknowledge that whatever was going on was insane, and I would still stay. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, like in the twentieth, nineteenth inning of baseball, like I'm not gonna leave. Like that's <laughs> right. nuts. Yeah, especially after that Carlos shot in the second set, which blew up on social media. Obviously, not just in tennis. Like if you're if you're at the match, you don't you don't watch tennis. You see that. At that point, you were like, I have to stay. You know, that was in the second set when people were still there. That was undoubtedly one of the best shots I've ever seen in, in my in my life. He was <laughs> running the other way, stops on a dime, jumps up, I don't know how high, and goes behind the back. And the thing is, like, you, you, you know, people that play tennis know, like, you watch some of the tweeners that Kyrgios hits, like, when he's... They look like, amazing no, if you're they're, not... Yeah, they look very cool if you don't play tennis, but they're in reality they're easy shots to hit. Very, just, very doable. Very doable, very easy. It's just crazy that he's doing it in the middle of a match 
that matters. But when he's down 40 love and he is a tweener, like it's it's not that impressive. The Carlitos and and obviously Nick hit some ridiculously amazing shots, but the Carlitos behind the back was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I don't seen in my think life. if you practice that, even if you're a professional, you tell your coach, feed balls to me at this speed, I'm gonna run, jump, and try to hit it behind my back. I don't think if you practice that, pros practice that, I don't think you get that one out of 50. Maybe Kyrgios could do it or something, but I don't think I, I just don't think it's possible. Yeah, I mean you you can't you can't simulate that at all. That's why a normal tweener like you can totally practice. I used to right. practice, you know, yeah. tweeners like for fun. Or and they're also they're actually a, a good they're actually a sometimes a shot that you need to hit and it's sometimes right. the best shot selection on occasion. But the shot that Alcaraz hit, that was I mean, you're, you're never practicing that. That's just it was pure instinct, which is it was just pure instinct, something that he was able to do. Yeah, really, really yeah. unbelievable. Um, but any any other thoughts? Just U.S. Open. I know we already kind of started talking about Carlitos, Sinner. We'll talk about that more. But anything else from the U.S. Open? I, I just think it's crazy that anyone can, the, the the fact that anyone can win. It on the men's side and it's 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 basically what what a women's major usually is is this men's major just like okay Kachanov and tfo they're great players but they're just atp level tour players you you would never expect them to be contending for a major right and, and they're con- legitimately two of the four people in the semifinals ah uh, i mean i think i think you're not giving karen credit where credit <laughs> is due man was a masters 1000 champion man was a former top 10 player uh, the guy's serve against Kyrgios was out of this world. Kyrgios didn't know what to do with it. But that all being said, you are <laughs> correct. Told- you're right. You're right. That all being said, you're right. <laughs> if I told you, if I told you that you think that Karen Kachanov is going to win a major, and I posed it as a question about his career, you'd be like, "Why the fuck are you asking me that question?" The question should be, "How many ATP 250s can Karen Kachanov win? Can he win an ATP 250 again?" That'd be the question because he, he loses to Nishioka in the like the quarters of 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 DC. But I, I think it's so it's so fucking cool. Like you, the big three era was great, but now it's like one of these guys has a chance to win a major. Nishioka is somewhere rubbing his hands, getting ready for the Aussie Open, saying it's my time to shine, baby. Yoshito Nishioka, Karen Kachanov. He beat Karen Busta, then he beat Nick. And both guys were playing well. I mean, it wasn't a bad, it wasn't a bad match. Yeah, got uh, got got a little lucky that Draper got hurt. I mean, look, every one of these guys has legitimately earned their spot. TFO beat Rafa. Mm-hmm. Um, K- Kachanov beat Kyrgios, and Rude beat Berrettini, who's made the finals of Wimbledon and the semis of U.S. Open. So it's not like they just made their way through some easy draw, you know? CC Casper Rude at the French Open. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And the other thing I'll say about Casper Ruud is people should stop disrespecting him because I agree he gets easy draws, but the reason he gets easy draws is because he takes advantage of the ranking point system to play the best events available for him. Like playing a clay court 250, people make fun of him, but if you're going to win that, why would you play an indoor hard ATP 500 where you lose first round? And that makes it, that makes it a better chance for you to win the major. So it's a, he's playing the long game. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. And he does a good job of it. And me and you always talk about these ATP and WTA players that don't have a team around them, don't 
Don't look at the schedule strategically. Just kind of go in there to any random yeah, tournament. Exactly. Fl- flare their arms about, win, <laughs> lose, cry, smile, and then and then come out and see where they're ranked. Kasparud obviously has a plan. A, te- a plan, a team that is strategically thinking about what events he's going to play to maximize his uh, success at the majors, and that's yeah. that's what he does. So I don't think anyone anyone can fault him for that. And curious. Fact, you know, Kyrgios made a comment the other day where he was saying when he after he lost, actually, it was a pretty candid thing. And he was saying, I, I only care about the majors. This is the only thing that matters. Like, why would I play other tournaments? The reason you would play other tournaments is so you get better draws at majors. So, you know, you don't have to play Medvedev in the fourth round. You know, that's what Casper has executed that plan. Yeah, that that's that's true. Casper is yeah. right. But some, someone like Nick is I don't think he necessarily needs to be a top you know, five seed or top, you know, eight seed because he'll probably maybe even want to play those better guys earlier on. He'll be motivated for those matches, beat them, and he can really get through the draw no matter where he's seated. Whereas Casper, on the other hand, is Casper going to come up with a big win? Yeah, he definitely could. He beat Berrettini, but is he going to come up with a big win, backed by a big win, backed by a big win? There's just less less of a chance yeah, uh, yeah. for him. But yeah, no, I think... I think the Kasparud hate train has to come to a stop. It has to, be, it has to come to it a stop. We both, to... I think we did the top 10, ATP top 10, and we, I think it was a couple of months ago, we both said Kasparud should not be in the top 10. And I'm renouncing that statement right now. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I think he, I think he's a, a definitely a top 10 player. He's playing a really, uh, he's playing a really good level, to, to be honest. Like, <laughs> he's playing, he's playing good. He is. Um, yeah, so I I don't think there's it's not a it's not look it's not Sinner Alcaraz level, but it's very uh, good. no, but there's guys in the top ten that are not like Novak Djokovic, you know, when they when Novak, Rafa, and Federer were dominating, there's still there are when Novak, Roger, and Rafa and Andy were in the top four, there are still six other spots in the top ten. That's what we're forgetting. <laughs> That's correct. There is there is a guy there is a guy on this planet who is going to be ranked number ten. In the world, there has to. There literally has to. There has to be. There has to be. There's ten top ten players in tennis, but there's not ten what you think of as top ten players that exist. You know, that's 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 what it is. Right. It'll be interesting. I'm interested to see the rankings after the U.S. Open. The number one ranking, you know, up up for grabs, and Casper is right in the middle of that mix. I mean, the Casper rude talk continues. (laughs) Honestly, I would. I would not be shocked in the slightest if if he won the US Open. I would be shocked. There's no there's no chance that he beats he beats Carlos. I, I'm sorry. I, I that see that's see that's where that's where I that's where I'm not I'm not saying I think he can beat Carlos. I'm saying I think Carlos might lose to TFO. Carlos just had a five hour match against yeah, against two, Sinner. Yeah, two five he had a, sets he in had a row. Five, two five setters in a row. He's probably finished his match at 3 a.m. You're gonna get back to the hotel, go to bed at 6, 7 a.m. The next day, you're emotionally, physically, he's gonna be drained, and he's gonna likely have a hangover into that TFO match. And also, based on what TFO, him, his kind of demeanor in the press conference, he seemed very chilled out, ready to go. Alcaraz tweeted, Alcaraz tweeted, "Good morning at 12:30 today." So, I mean, it's like having a, it's like having a giant hangover. You know, playing a tennis match and going to bed at 5 a.m. Your entire next day of practice is 
basically fucked. It's going to be a recovery day. You're not going to be able to get a legitimate practice day in. Do you think he's, how much do you think he's hitting today? He honestly, I don't think he should be hitting that much, if any at all. Like it fully recovery day and maybe because he's playing in the night session. So he'll still be able to get a workout in in the morning. But I would say he probably is doing 30 minutes of light hitting, but he probably shouldn't be. What do you yeah, think? I I would probably yeah either either don't even step on the court if you're gonna go on the tennis court hit for hit for twenty minutes and, and get off you don't you don't need to do anything today you're right about TFO also because the crowd is gonna be Carlos always has a crowd on his side and that's because he's such a he fires everyone up and he has that personality electric mm-hmm. but. I, on Friday night, the crowd is going to be in New York 100% for TFO, I think, or at least 75%. And that's something he hasn't dealt with yet, which is why I think I agree. He could potentially lose to the crowd and to TFO. You don't, this is why in the NBA, home field and home court advantage matters so much. It's like the difference in the home court advantage in, in the NBA is like a six points on the money line, you know, six points on the betting line. So when it comes to tennis, I don't know how to quantify that, but I'm sure it's what one, maybe one game in the entire match, two games potentially. And that, that could be the difference. And and we've also seen players, obviously I don't think Carlos is it. We've also seen players who just cannot deal with the crowd. Like Rublev did Rublev and Annette, these players who are crying on the court, they're crying after the press conference and just can't handle a crowd. That's what, I mean, that's what Novak's had to do for years. And he's got 21 grand slams, but some of these tennis players, they talk about how hard tennis is, but then the moment they get a crowd against them, they're, you know, they're grabbing their towel to cry into it. I actually, I just, I just don't get that. (laughs) Like, I don't. You're an athlete. Yeah, you're an athlete. Aren't you expecting that? It's like, it's like when people who are like, you know, news anchors or I don't know, some famous person, like they're getting hate mail and they start crying. Like, why? obviously you're getting hate mail. You're putting yourself out there in the public. If you are putting yourself out there, then you have to expect that some people are not going to like you and they're going to root against you. And the one where I was really honestly baffled is, is, is Annette cry, Annette crying when the crowd was cheering for Serena, Serena cheering yeah. for it, it's a, it's a, she's American. She's the greatest of all time. And it's her last tournament. Dude, no one wants you to fucking win a net. Obviously it's not about but, these people think it's about them. It's not, they're not rooting against you, Andre. They're not rooting against you. They're rooting for the other person. And if you're going to have trouble stomaching that feeling, why don't you call up Novak Djokovic and get some, get some advice. Cause that guy deals with it. Like, no one else on the play. He takes that energy and channels it. I think Novak plays better when the crowd's against him. He no, hundred percent he does. And it's just, it's just that's what that's what Rublev should have done. And you shush the crowd. Medvedev kind of did that too. And like when in 2019 US Open, he played better being against the crowd. He was able to go back against that the crowd, and it was kind of fun. Yeah. He, he, totally, totally, totally. A lot of a lot of fun. I think. But but anyway, a lot of motivation. Just going back to TFO for a second, I think his quotes really show what he's thinking before the before the rafa match he said i'm a different player from 2019 this is before he even knew he was going to play rafa and he said now i believe i can beat rafa he didn't say i think i can beat him he said if we play i'm coming for him i mean that kind of a quote about from francis tfo who's like we said a great tour player but he's talking about he's coming for him you know the best player of all time when did it when did he say that was that a quote from this tournament this is from this tournament before the draw came out and it said like he might be able to play the Nadal or it was like during the tournament before the Nadal match was confirmed. And then after he beat um, Rublev, he was like, 
the crowd was cheering for him and he like he shook his head he's like now nah, guys like we got two more so i think i think this guy is turning into it's like sinner during the match he's turning into a different player in person as the tournament's progressing and he's at home and he's in arthur ash dude should we go should we should buy should we buy tickets for that game Wait, Ash is, on Friday? Is, is it both are they both at night no just 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 the TFO, but 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 yeah, I agree with you. This oh, is my oh T- TFO TFO is at night. Yeah, against Alcaraz. Oh, I, I was actually saying during the the Alcaraz match, TFO should request to be playing it during the day, so you know Alcaraz has no time. But yeah, yeah, that's the night match. Oh yeah, it makes sense because Carlos finished late. That was is going to be an electric atmosphere. At least I hope it's an electric atmosphere. It's a Friday oh. in, Friday night in New York, an American playing to get to the yeah. finals of the U.S. Open. Well, now all the fans have seen. Carlos because of the match yesterday and all the fans are already starting to get to know TFO from his run so I think it could be also no matter what happens in the first match the world number one is going to be on the line Friday night so Kachanov plays against Rude in the semis right if um if Casper wins that match against Kachanov and TFO beats Alcaraz then Casper's number one in the world this is that's if that- if Kachanov beats Casper, then all Alcaraz needs to do is beat TFO, and he's number one in the world. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I, I see a very slim possibility of Nadal being number one in the world. Yes, they both have to lose. I don't think they're both going to lose. In fact, yeah. I, I, in fact, I think Casper is going to be number one in the world. I really do see. I I, I see. You're T- pr- predicting TFO to win. I I wouldn't put it past him. I would very much believe he has a, a a good chance. Guess what his odds are right now, sitting at plus one ninety, plus one seventy. Okay, so a slight underdog. Sorry, not pl- a huge so, plus one sixty. So very slight underdog. The spread for the Kachanov Rude match is bigger. Kachanov is plus one seventy. <laughs> this is these are going to be some interesting matches. I think Casper will beat Karen Kachanov. But. I think Casper will beat. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think Casper will beat Karen Kachanov. I think TFO will beat Alcaraz, and I think Casper will 100% be number one and may beat TFO in the final. So the one thing I'll say also is Alcaraz. This tournament, he's played very well, but he hasn't been the most clutch. He both lost both the tie breaks to center. He blew four set points. He missed that easy shot on set point against center. Easy winner. TFO. He's played five tie breaks this, this, this U.S. Open, five and zero, or six tie breaks, actually, six and zero in tie breaks. So he's playing the best at the best points, and he's only gotten broken a few times as well, you know, yeah. which I think could be a factor. If you're losing, one, one guy's losing tie breaks, one guy's winning tie breaks, you get into a tie break, who's going to feel more confident, you know? True. What about in terms of, what about in terms of pressure? Who do you think is, has the most pressure? I don't think there's any pressure whatsoever on Ruder Kachanov? Uh, I don't think there's any pressure on anyone except for. I think there's pressure on Carlos. Carlos, yeah. I think Carlos has the most amount of pressure. Another Carlos. another reason that I'm taking taking Francis to beat him tomorrow. You just have to factor all these things in. Obviously, yeah, obviously, factor, yeah. obviously, obviously, no shit. Carlos is a way better player than Francis Tiafo. That's yes. just obvious. But when you start to take in all these different variables, the five set match. The pressure, the like you said, Francis has been clutch. Carlos hasn't. When you start to put in all those variables, then you're like looking at it, you're like, ah, I don't know. 
Maybe it is Francis. You also have to realize Francis is Francis is playing very strategic, you know, tennis. He's, he's starting to think about what he's supposed to do. We talked about before the, before the Rublev match, how for Francis, he wants to have backhand to backhand rallies and Rublev wants to attack Francis forehand. Literally every, every single, every single time Francis was able to get his backhand, dictate the point and then hit it down the line. My only question is, is like, can Francis, he's, he's, he's going to have to rely on Alcaraz not playing well, right? There's no way that he just beats him straight up. He's going to have to rely on these things. So like, should he be going for winners and stuff or should he just be trying to play more consistent and like give making, making hard shots for Alcaraz. But if, 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 if Francis tries too hard to attack, I think he could, he could also lose. Yeah, no, we've seen Carlos, like you said, miss, start missing. So I think Francis needs to just play his way into the match very, very nicely, calmly. It's a three out of five set match. It's going to be long. So I think play your way into it. See what Carlos is looking like, feeling like. And Francis, I don't know if it has any bearing on the match at all, but Francis did beat him first round of some one of the clay court events. Really? So I, I think it does have bearing so, for Francis. Exactly. So that's just, just, that's just in the back of both of their minds. We have been on the court together before. And I, I don't know what the overall head-to-head is. They've played since then, but um, I, I do remember remember that from the clay court season. So a lot a lot of things pointing to Francis. Who are you rooting for? Francis. Me too. Yeah, I have to. Have to. It, I, honestly, I think maybe if it was another major, I may root for Carlos. Um, American in America. But American in America... First like, American since uh, Andy Roddick to make the semis, I think. Yes, first yeah. American since Andy Roddick to make yeah. the semis. And yeah. he would obviously be the first American to win if he won it since Andy Roddick did in 2003. Yeah. Um, which would be crazy. Um, but it, it, would be, it would be crazy. Um, is, this, is this a final you would want to watch? TFO against Rude? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if the general public would want to watch it, but of course I would. One of these guys is going to win a major for the rest of their life. They can say, I have a major championship. So it's, I guess, okay, not like Emma and Layla Fernandez last year, but it's because they're just both, in terms of they're both really unexpected to get there. And this is probably going to be, I mean, probably Francis's only chance to win a major. So I think it's more compelling in that way. When you're, when you're seeing Djokovic and Rafa, it's a, amazing for a different way because they're trying to get more slams, but you know they'll be back. This is like a once-in-a-lifetime match, and you know it. It's like the movies, the script is written, you know, kind of thing. Like, and this is the one chance they have. So I think that's why it's cool. Yeah, you just hate to be the guys who have no majors looking in from the outside. CC, Sasha Zverev, Stefano Sissipas, and Nick Kyrgios, the three kind of other guys that I would think of as that are, you know, playing around this age that deserve majors, I guess, I guess you could say. I think Nick Kyrgios only realized this year how, how much he wanted to win a major. And this is the first two majors that he's actually tried to win and he's failed both times, which is why he's day, by the day having more respect for the, the big three. You know, I think he's also starting to realize that the game of tennis is harder. It's harder as harder than he thought it was because he he was obviously never 100 percent trying. Right. And he thought everyone else thought if he turned the gas up to 100 percent that he would kind of fly by everyone and he would win a major if he did that, which was always a big question. And he has done that for two majors only. And he hasn't been able to win them. So I think 
he's getting a harsh reality check that he is amazing at tennis, but also like it's. I mean, like there's fucking, always another match to play. There's always another set to play. These matches are these tournaments are crazy. Five sets, seven matches. It's like nothing you ever seen at a freaking ATP 250 or Master <laughs> Masters event. Or or cool, Kyrgios beat Rublev two and two in a Miami second round, and he's walking around like he's a Grand Slam champion. No, you have to beat Medvedev in four sets, number one in the world. Then you have to come back and beat Karen Kachanov in five in five sets. I'm sorry, you have to be out there, bro. You know, Karen Kachanov is no slouch. It, it's actually funny that. Going back to the DC tournament when we watched him and he just, it was unbelievable. And we, one of our takes, which was a very timid take at the time was that Karen Kashinov was, looked the best, but we, I didn't really want to see him dumb. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 not. yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously yeah. he's not, but our eye test was telling us that this guy has something. I mean, his move, everything you thought was not as good was, was amazing. He didn't miss as much as his forehand. His movement was amazing. His backhand, he can hit, like his game looks better than Berrettini. Like he has the same big serve. And his backhand, he can hit anywhere. His, you know, his serve. Talk, just talking about his serve. It was un. I was actually kind of. I was bored watching. I watched the entirety of the Kyrgios, uh, Kachanov match, and I was bored for the first four sets because it was just yeah, yeah, serving. You know, the average rally length was I don't know three shots. It was um, boring. It was very boring to watch. But but that being said, it was a remarkable serving performance from from both of them. And I, and, I didn't. And I knew. Returns I knew, also amazing. Mr. I knew server turns. So yeah, good. I knew I knew Karen serve was good. I didn't know it was that good. And I think in my notes down for what he's going to have to do to beat Rude is l- make sure he can get that serve going again. If he has the serve going as it was against Kyrgios, there's definitely a chance he beats Casper. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say about the center Alcaraz, which was just the points. I haven't seen those points since a match for the big three they were inventing new kind of ways to play tennis is that i'm happy for those two guys because their serves aren't the best which creates for better tennis and we don't have to watch a big three of you know like kyrios sitsipas Zverev, where there's so many their serves are so big we don't really get to appreciate like the full athleticism of of the players when they're not playing like points from the baseline you know oh 100 i mean it's more it's every everyone knows that it's more fun to watch guys when there's Rally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's incredible. The serves are incredible, but uh, you, you want to see some stuff off the ground. You want to see their athleticism besides, uh, besides the serves. That's the only, that's the only like issue I have with watching Kyrgios just from a fan, fan perspective. Yeah. Like it's, it's, his serve is so good that it makes stuff boring. It, it's like he's like a serve, ser- he's not a serve bot, but he has the same effect of a serve bot. Somebody, he'll have like one amazing point over two games, whereas Sinner and Alcaraz is like every other point is amazing to watch mm-hmm. yeah but that like factoring that into like center and alcaraz going deep consistently in majors that's gonna tire them. them out yeah. it's gonna hurt them because it's gonna tire them out yeah. and being able to produce that back to back to backs in terms of their level is possible but in terms of just physical exhaustion that's you know it's gonna be tough uh, i feel really bad for center i mean a match match point on your serve that was to blow that is just it's just so it's just especially so especially with who's in the draw and i think it was the day after or no no it was the day nadal lost it was the day center was playing Ilya vashka he had a fire in his eye center and i think partly it may have been due to the fact that nadal yes, lost and, that. and he saw a real path to uh, winning a major 
And you talked about the, the monkey on his back is just going to continue to get bigger because he's also younger or older than Carlos, 21. So yeah, it's going to suck. And he's always going to be thinking about this US Open, maybe not because of the loss, but like you said, because of the, the people that are in there. But you, let's be honest also, you can't be going five sets with Ilya Vashka. You can't, you can't, can't be doing that. And, and, and so, yeah. Ivashka, yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't be doing that. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, I feel bad for him. But I do think that you know this year he's improved so much from the Australian Open where he got destroyed by Stefanos, you know, and he had blew he blew match points against Zverev as well. But I think he's he's a Yannick Sinner is a keep building. He's always building. I think he's always trying to get better. He never thinks he's ever satisfied with where he's at. So needs to keep keep building. Shout out shout out Harriet Dart. That, that's why he <laughs> that's why he hired you know a new a new entire new coaching staff. I, I think for someone who's twenty one to just say that in the middle of the year, amazing you know, rising star to be like no like I need a better coaching staff. You bring in mm-hmm. someone like Darren Cahill. It's it's really mature. It's mature. Yeah yeah and yeah I, yeah we do, we talked about that just early in the episode. We we should like do a segment on what it means to have a good team in tennis and people. It's really really underrated um having good people around you a good team to help you uh continue at your level get to the next level and the guys that do have that uh you know tend to succeed casper rude like we said carlos alcaraz juan carlos ferrero sinners building that around him um berrettini seems to have that as well and you know you see guys that are just kind of just kind of winging, winging it, winging it doesn't wing it with a team. It's like treat tennis like football, treat it like soccer, have a team, have a guy figuring this shit out for you, having a coach, have a physio, you know? This job is, that's probably the hardest job. I'll, like Juan Carlos Ferrero, I don't envy that guy because he's probably always thinking, am I doing as much as I can? And it's, you know, you have the best horse in the race. And it's like, I, ha- I ha- have so much pressure on me to maximize that. So I, those it's, it's hard. It's the hardest. I think it's really hard to coach a player, you know, could be one of the greatest ever because it's, you know, you never really know if you're maximizing the potential other players, you can kind of get a sense. Okay. This guy has a weakness or even professional players. We can watch them and say that when you watch it like Carlos, there's no, there's no weaknesses, you know? So I, I, it's a tough job to coach, to coach superstars. Yeah. It's, it's tough also because it's like, you know, you're, you think you're doing everything you can. You may be doing everything you can. Juan Carlos Ferrer obviously has, uh, you know, as much as experience as anyone in the tennis world could have. Um, and you put all everything into your play, but also on the court, that's just your guys out there. You can't, you can't sub them out for someone else. You can't sub out Carlos Alcaraz for Pablo Carino Busta yeah. when, when you need to. Um, it's like, so. Yeah. But it's like these coaches who of NBA teams that are amazing, you know, like when whoever LeBron, whoever LeBron's coach is, it's your job is to win the title. Your job is to get to be number one. And if you don't, you know, if you do that, that's the player's success. If you don't, then that's the coach's fault. There's always, always pressure on those. Exactly, exactly.